0: Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Jose Vera and Parker Colvin, Managing Directors at Raymond James. Jose and Parker, welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thank you. Good morning. So, uh, let's talk, gentlemen. What, uh, tell me about what you guys do in local government. Why don't we start with you, Jose?
1: Well, uh, we help local communities finance their public infrastructure through the issuance of municipal bonds. And so, Raymond James is a top 10 national underwriter of municipal bonds, and we access the capital markets for, for our clients.
0: All right. So I think a lot of people have heard of muni bonds before. I think that makes sense. And what are what are your respective roles? Parker, what's your role relative to Jose?
2: Sure. Well, I'll let Jose describe his in more detail. But uh, my specialization is being uh, uh, kind of the uh, point person between capital markets and our public agency clients. So I'm not out identifying projects or or working hand in hand with the public agencies like Jose is. My job is to come in kind of at the last minute and execute financings, um, help people access the capital markets at the lowest possible cost of financing.
0: So you're closer to the money in Wall Street, and Jose is closer to the municipalities that are looking to actually do projects. Is that a fair description? Exactly right. All right. Well, it sounds like we need uh, the duo of you to make things happen, right? So to get the money efficiently from the markets and find great projects to finance.
1: You know… My smile could only do so much if I don't have someone like Parker behind me, making sure that the rate is low. That makes sense. Yeah. How many? How many basis points is your smile worth as
0: <laughs> a? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how
2: did you both get
0: into the local government
2: finance sector,
0: Parker? We'll start with you on that.
2: Um, I I fell into it, you know, in college. I didn't even know uh, what a municipal bond was. Um, I was a uh, uh, math and computer science track. Uh, I was a summer intern for a, a little company called and Youngberg in San Francisco and designed a website for them. And uh, from there, I found my way onto the, the trading desk and uh, found out that trading bonds was something I really enjoyed and um, took off on that path for probably the first four years of my career, only trading the secondary market, um, and then started to cross over a little bit into the secondary to the primary market or new issue pricings, where you interact with public agencies and um, found that that was uh, the most enjoyable part of the work for me. So I'm a little over 20 years in now as a a trader and underwriter and uh, for the last 10 years or so I've been pretty much exclusively focused on the primary market.
0: Okay and then uh, how about you Jose?
1: So after graduating from MIT I didn't have a job and my buddy Harsha who's a uh, the most successful person I knew at the time took me out for a beer and told me about public finance. And he did it in such a way that not only did the bartender that was uh, eavesdropping pick up the bill, but he's probably become uh, a public finance banker too. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it, he sold me on it. I sent my resume out to every single firm in California that did public finance and had a website. And Stone called me back. And so that's how that happened. So you two actually did? Did you end up working together at Stone Youngberg previously? Do you have a history together back then? Yeah. So Parker Parker joined Stone Youngberg like the next month after I was hired. So we we've known each other for quite a bit.
0: And so you you your careers have interwoven through those days, and now you're back together again under Raymond James.
2: Correct. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Small world. So what is working well in local
1: government finance? I'll I'll say that right now, just there is a lot of liquidity in the sector. So there's a lot of money looking for fewer bonds. And that drives rates down and gives the local agency an opportunity to refinance debt, get access to capital at low rates, and address infrastructure issues. Uh, So that's working really, really well. if there's ever a time when there's a disruption in the market, that's when you see um, things not working quite as well. Uh, but part of our, our job is to have our capital ready to deploy in situations that there's volatility to ease those volatile times.
0: And Parker, why is there so much money chasing municipal the municipal market or trying to fund mini
2: bonds? Yeah, I mean, it. It. I think it goes uh, right to the Federal Reserve, and you know, the uh, bringing the overnight rate to zero in response to the onset of the pandemic, um, hitting the market with massive quantitative easing, and even though they're not directly buying uh, municipal bonds, buying every other asset class uh, in in massive size to keep low rates down, just spreads the liquidity and you know, pushes the the investors into other markets. So I, I would say. Um, you know, kind of in the frothy market of 2006 was the only time when liquidity was as close to as strong as it is right now. And rates are a heck of a lot lower now than they were then. So, you know, when I'm bringing a transaction to market on behalf of a public agency, we kind of go over the options that are available in the market. You know, what, what different types of buyers are looking for, where the pockets of strength are, where the you know the, the segments of weakness to stay away from. Uh, right now, it's it's pretty much all strength and all options are on the table. You know, we not to get too into the weeds, but, you know, couponing and call features and um, all the different ways that we package bonds to fit in investor portfolios in a way that meets the needs of public agencies. Um, I would say no time in the last 20 years have there been so many options readily available. So really, if there's any financing need out there, we can structure something to fit in this market because there's just so much liquidity, as Jose said
0: so uh i mean basically what i'm hearing is there's never been a better time to do a bond deal than right now for a government agency or local government agency uh, assuming they have a project that they warrant warranted of course so uh, what i mean usually you know things are going great until they're not so what should public agencies be concerned about
1: well i i i think um you hit it in the head uh, things are going well until they're not and and i i i, I remember how if there's a difference in, in opinion, you have a market in, in, in muni bonds, when there's a difference in opinion, you kind of halt trading. Um, so usually the, the, the spikes uh, of, of the raising rates uh, happen pretty suddenly. Uh, so I think uh, while the going is good, it's a good time to refinance bonds, address capital infrastructure while inflation um before inflation makes the the cost of those improvements uh prohibitively expensive um and um when when the music stops playing we'll we'll deal with that then um but you've got to think that there's got to be a correction at some point right parker any comments on that
2: you know on the, on the bond pricing side of things there there aren't too many landmines out there um you know, maybe it's a it's a good time to be selling fixed rate debt instead of variable. Um, but on the financing team side, when you're when you're putting something together, as long as you're using conservative assumptions right now, um, you know the interest rates are so low they're going to help projects get done uh, more easily than they would otherwise. So, you know, maybe if you're getting really aggressive rates, it's a good time to be a little bit more conservative on your other assumptions.
0: So, uh, I guess at the risk of getting Super technical here, uh, Parker, you had made some comments that a lot of the bond rates were being driven by Fed activity. My, I wanted to say my last read on a Wall Street Journal article was that uh, Fed Chair Powell was looking to start pulling back on some of the purchasing they're doing in the month of October and start easing up a bit on their efforts. Maybe I misread that. Is there any Fed policy coming down that, that has been projected by the Fed that should kind of uh, at least raise a, a yellow flag for people or they should be aware of, of some uh, change in the climate?
2: You know, I I think um, we're just uh, I think the Fed is signaling that they're just beginning the conversation about when the appropriate time uh, to wind down quantitative easing might be. Um, And that's just stopping purchasing of bonds. That's not flooding the market with what's on the Fed's balance sheet. Um, Really, the only thing that might uh, motivate the Fed to move faster rather than slower uh, would be sustained inflation. Uh, Today's consumer price index reading was a little bit lower than expected, kind of kind of proving the point that the Fed's been making for the last six months. You know, when you're comparing year over year to 2020, um, you know, we don't need to panic about higher inflation numbers because, you know, obviously 2020 was um, a dramatically weaker year for prices. Uh, so today's CPI number was a tiny bit lower than expected and the bond market rallied. So the, the headlines in financial press today are that, uh, you know, the, the taper is off the table for now. You know that could change in a week, but that's how the financial headlines are reading today.
0: And I should note that by
2: today, we are recording this
0: on September 14th. So if you're watching this on right. September 26th or October 15th, <laughs> it's been a month. And the, the data is old at this point. But uh, in the context of this conversation, that's kind of what we're contending with. Good point. And, yeah. Uh, Jose, any other comments around the, around that point or that issue?
1: No, I mean, going back to the... The question about what should local agencies be concerned with, Um, I I know that unfunded liabilities has been a topic recently that many agencies are uh, are addressing in terms of pensions. But I think unfunded liabilities come in in many forms and and many flavors. And I think deferred maintenance and unfunded capital improvement programs is something that many cities have deferred for many years. uh, the the public infrastructure is the backbone of many communities, and we all kind of depend on it and so making sure that it's working uh, and' it's up to date is a is is a quite essential role of local government and so um, that that's something that is easy to push kick the can down the road, but it's the the rubber does meet the road at, at some point, especially when there's natural disasters and um, Host of all of the things uh, threatening our our, um, our infrastructure. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, you would also both had made some comments about kind of historically low rates. Could you just put some context on that? I mean, what is what roughly speaking? And I realize there's a million variables, but what, like, how would you when you make that statement? What are you comparing? Where are those rates? You know, where in the last thirty years, what has been the high relative to the lows that we're kind of bottoming on right now?
1: So it's it's um. It's uh, interesting that the Municipal Market Data Index has been tracked since 1993. And I joined the, the, the business in around 1999. Uh, at the time, uh, in the early 90s, rates could have been or were around 7%, 6%. Uh, today, in the last 12 months, uh, that same 30-year Municipal Market Index has been uh, below 2% uh, and currently sits in the mid one and a half. Uh, and Parker, tell me if I'm if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but the last 12 month period, um, it's at, at the lowest level it's ever been.
2: Yeah, that's right. I think there's two two components to you know actual borrowing rates out there. There's the index, which represents um, the highest credit quality, most liquid bonds in the market. So th- those are the benchmark, and obviously the lowest yield. So the, the benchmark. Hit the lowest levels uh, in its history, going back to '93, uh, in August of last year, kind uh, of the, the peak fear of the economic fallout of the pandemic. But amidst that fear, so you know the, the reason rates are so low, people are buying high-quality assets at the expense of riskier assets. So for your typical public agency, they don't borrow at the national AAA rate. You know they're going to borrow at some credit spread to that. Um, so what's happened is we've gotten you know through the first nine months of of two thousand and twenty one, um uh, it's become apparent that um, you know, the economy is not going to be back to pre-pandemic output immediately. Um inflation looks manageable, so the index was able to creep back down again. It's not at the lowest that it was, but it's within a quarter point. Um, but credit spreads have dramatically compressed uh, because there's, there's you know, less concern about um, uh, you know, problems in municipal credit. Um, you know, mis- municipalities have fared the pandemic very well. So um, the actual borrowing cost for agencies um, is is lower right now than it was a year ago, you know, even though the benchmark index might not be quite at its, its all-time low. And okay. that's both for uh, taxable municipal bonds spread over treasuries and tax exempt where we use the, the AAA MMD index.
0: So, Parker, that actually, uh, given that these historically low rates we're talking about here, I guess I have one other, one other factor that just looms in my head. Municipal bonds, uh, to the best of my understanding, for most investors, they actually represent um, tax-free income, or they are not subject to income tax. And I realize you're not a tax attorney, so maybe you can't offer this explanation, but is that generally the case, or how does the market work on that? Or maybe, Jose, you need to answer that question.
2: Uh, no, that's, that's generally the case. Uh, uh, most uh, municipal bonds are exempt from federal income taxes, um, and a significant majority uh, are exempt from state income taxes as well. Uh, There are certain exceptions for that. Uh, And then there are certain uses of proceeds um, that uh, do not fall under uh, that tax-exempt status. And so for those purposes, you'll see bonds that are subject to alternative minimum tax or are federally and state taxable. But traditionally, the, the uh, plain vanilla municipal bond is exempt from state and federal income taxes.
1: And I think your, your confusion, uh, Ryder, may come from the fact that we have seen over the last few years, a uh, tremendous resurgence of taxable municipal bond issues. Um, so advanced refundings were pretty much prohibited uh, on a tax exempt basis since 2017, I believe, And so there's been quite a few advanced refundings done as a taxable financing, uh, thanks to the fact that treasury rates have been so so low. So you could structure a tax exempt municipal, I mean, a taxable municipal bonds uh, spread off of treasuries and still get a very attractive um, low rate. Um, Additionally, pension obligation bonds have been done. Uh, or can only be done as taxable bonds. And so there's been quite uh, a lot of uh, bond issues uh, for pensions done as a taxable um, financing. Mm, okay.
0: So I, I, I'd always had this perception that um, the, the no-tax uh, municipal bond was particularly attractive to high net, net worth and high-income individuals who were looking for income streams that were not going to be subject to their high marginal tax rates. Partly, I just think about that, because given recent uh, federal government policy changes, there's been more movement and shift towards uh, our potential shift towards increased um, tax rates for high net worth individuals and high income individuals, which I would assume would make municipal bonds even more attractive, at least for that cohort of purchasers in the
2: market. Absolutely. You know, even um, though not all retail buyers access the market um, themselves, you know, via broker buying individual municipal bonds. The aggregate individual investor demand is is the strongest source of demand in our market. Um, There are a lot of um, buyers that are we refer to as professional retail, um, where you've got a a money management firm or a bank trust department buying large chunks of bonds and and splitting them up into individual accounts. Um, Those folks represent some of the, particularly in California, uh, represent um, probably the, the strongest buying base uh, in the first 15 years of the yield curve. And then you look at the mutual funds who are buying. You know, those shareholders are also largely individual retail investors. So while there certainly are banks and hedge funds and insurance companies and, and true institutional buyers, uh, the municipal market is, is very dependent on retail demand.
0: Okay. Thank you for kind of indulging my query into that space. I'm always just curious about where, because that's theoretically that's where some of this capital is coming from that's flooding the market too, is some of those buyers, right? Absolutely. So that maybe broadens out the question. Raymond James is a big organization, right? What what all does Raymond James do? Because I, I assume public finance is not the only thing. I've heard of the name for many years.
2: You want to go first, Jose? Or I mean, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll mention this one you, thing. Go
1: ahead. Uh,
2: Good. I, I think Raymond James primarily were a household name as a an individual financial advisory firm. You know, close to twenty thousand employees. Most of our associates are involved in advising individual investors on their investments and um, you know capital markets, fixed income and equity capital markets are just uh, a couple of smaller departments in addition to, to private client group. So go ahead, Jose.
1: Yeah, so in terms of size, not only the, the 20,000 employees, but like at last count, we had approximately like 1.2 trillion of uh, client assets under management uh, so you could think about the, the whole host of products that we offer um, all those clients um, and, and in order to manage those assets. Uh, we also happen to have our name on a f- football stadium in Florida. So um, it, it, it is a household name. And I'm, I'm, I think both Parker and I are happy to be part of a, a much larger organization. How does that size benefit
0: uh, public agencies?
1: So I, I think part of the of what we do is not only uh, underwrite bonds uh, or or sell bonds, but also underwrite bonds. And so you have to have the capital to be able to take some of these bonds in when needed. Uh, When when you set up price and you believe that price is fair, uh, but there's enough volatility in the markets that uh, if you don't stand by that price, uh, you would need to adjust higher um, or or lower. it's good to have the level of capital that allows like you to be uh, firm with your convictions. Um, and I think that's that's what Parker does best. So um, if you have little capital, uh, you kind of have to yield to what the market is telling you because uh, you can't take those bonds in. Uh, but when we have uh, the kind of organization we, we do um, and the flexibility that Parker has as an underwriter to call those shots, um, it, it really uh, is to the benefit of the public agency.
0: It sounds like you essentially are in a better position to assure some sort of pricing certainty with them once you agree on the pricing for the deal. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, certainty is probably, uh, that's why people are in the bond market in general, is they're looking for a lot more certainty or, or conviction than they would get in other spaces. So that uh, that would seem to go hand in hand. Uh, anything else? That, how is Raymond James involved in other financial activities with municipalities beyond uh, bond deals and underwriting?
1: Yeah, so we have a group that manages or help invest uh, treasury uh, assets for cities, counties, and local governments. Uh, so we're on the investment side of things as well. Uh, we do also uh, escrow bidding uh, services for When when money from from bond issues needs to be reinvested, Uh, we have a group that does that as well. Um, We have a housing group that is very relevant into what's happening here in California, Um, and as well as um, we're a a big syndicator of low income tax credit for uh, to bring equity into low income uh, housing financing. So uh, we we do quite a bit of of um, roles throughout throughout our issuer clients and so we host a whole suite of services for for them okay anything you want to add on that parker uh
2: i, I think Jose covered it I, you know i interact a lot with our um, uh, local agency investment side as well because you know a lot of municipalities in california buy the bonds that are issued by other municipalities so um i, I can say that that's something very unique amongst our competitors um when we're uh, involved in you know multi-firm syndicates, uh, we generally have uh, a lot more interest from California municipalities than, than other firms do. So, um, a, a lot of municipalities actually know us more from the investment side than from the investment banking side. Um, but if if they don't, uh, I think that's uh, those services are, are are pretty unique and special. They should definitely look into those. All
0: right. So uh, partly, I guess what the. The point I, I'm hearing, or maybe not the point, but an observation, is uh, it sounds to me like uh, a good chunk of the municipalities in California actually own debt in other municipalities in California. Is that a is that an accurate statement?
2: Yep, that's right. All
0: right. Well, it's good to know that uh, they're investing in their peers. I, I suppose that's uh, perhaps a good sign. So, um, as many agencies are addressing debt or losses in revenue because of the pandemic, what are some strategies you might suggest for public agencies to pursue financial responsibility?
1: So, they- so, yeah. So I, I think um, I, I mentioned earlier about addressing the unfunded pension liabilities. I think that's something that many cities are are and counties and local agencies are doing. Um, I think uh, setting good policies and sticking to them is, is something that I think many agencies are starting to do. What um, does that mean? Like what what's in that? Like yeah, a policy like, on a
0: fund reserve, or is that a policy on uh, trying to cur- curtail growth and expenses? Yeah,
1: well, you can't you can't always cut your way into pros- prosperity. So, uh, but identifying things like like a Section one fifteen trust uh, to address the pension problem, uh, and, and identifying one time revenues, and rather than using it uh, for ongoing uh, multi year uh, expenses. Put it into a trust as a, as a form of a reserve. Uh, that's, those are just sound policies that if you implement them and stick to them, uh, you'll be better off uh, down the line. Fair point. Now, simpler simpler things that, that are lower-hanging fruit, um, and, and we talk extensively about low interest rate environment, uh, but yeah, take a look at your debt. Uh, th- there's likely a very good chance that bonds that you did six, seven, eight years ago uh, are now callable and you could lower the payments on that. So uh, being proactive in how you manage the, the debt side of things will save you money.
0: Yeah, I keep, uh, I mean, I certainly have seen uh, uh, various reports of agencies crowing about their refinancing they're doing and the amount of money they're saving on interest expense as a result of essentially issuing new debt to replace the existing debt, as I understand it, and uh, using that interest rate savings to um, put themselves in a better financial position. And that over the duration of that bond deal, they'll end up saving, you know, X millions of dollars as a result of doing the refinance. It's
1: no no different than, than uh Taking advantage of a low mortgage rate after you've had your your mortgage for a while, you take a look and say, like, "Oh boy, I uh, save quite a bit of money here."
0: Yeah. So another thing I've been hearing a lot about um, in kind of in the in the space and aligned with government in particular is this idea of green bond projects or green financing. Um, you know, I think in the context of wildfires in California and climate change uh, uh, concerns, if not outright alarm. Um, there's a lot of interest in this area. Could you explain a little bit about what that is and, and how public agencies should should consider some of these investments?
1: So, so Raymond James happens to be a, a market leader in green bonds. Um, and so let's take a look at it from uh, a utility, let's say water, sewer, or, or power infrastructure. Uh, many of those projects, if you look at it, how how they are done, would qualify for green bond status. Uh, environmentally friendly construction for city halls and police stations, or, or environmentally friendly park infrastructure, uh, would qualify for green bond status. Um, things like energy retrofit, when you're changing uh, street lights and 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 HVAC systems in your existing buildings, that sort of stuff could qualify for. Uh, green bond status. So, uh, having the discussion with your financing team and, and your legal team and, and, and making the disclosure required by the investor community um, would help you get that ESG um, environmental, social, and government design- designation. Uh, it is a growing field, so you're starting to see more and more funds targeting green or ESG investment. Um, it's something that eventually will provide a real uh, savings to the client. Right now, I think because, and Parker, please speak up on this, uh, because it's relatively new, it's harder to quantify whether a green bond designation is saving you five basis points or, or not.
2: Yeah, no, it's um, a, a sector of the market that's um, taken a lot more specific shape uh, over the last five or six years, um, but but it's still not one single clear definition of what is a green bond. So um, the, the demand is being driven by investors. However, there are a lot of investors out there that are looking for um, ways to inve- invest in environmentally sustainable projects, um, social impact investing. Um, those avenues have, have been um, pretty big growth strategies for professional investment advisors you know if they offer a product that, that seeks to invest in those types of bonds um, the, the response from individuals has been really strong so the, the professional investment firms out there are all uh, at some stage either early or advanced um, in offering those products to individuals and then we see those um, uh, funds get get put into our market at the moment for the same issuer uh, same credit uh, you know one, Green bond, one not, they are still pricing the same. But I would say we've had some smaller issuers come to market who have had investors participate in their transaction who wouldn't have ever looked at a you know eighteen million dollar utility deal if it wasn't a green bond. So there's a greater depth of audience for green bonds than than not. And I think as that um, you know, the investment strategies continue to grow and formulate around that it's going to have a bigger impact on pricing in our market so uh
0: in some a uh, little bit of layman's terms on this but my my sense is twofold number one the supply and demand situation if there's only a certain supply of green bonds and there's a bunch of demand out there that wants to invest in green bonds for meeting various investment goal requirements or philosophies of the funds that are making the investments they'll be chasing down those deals and willing to invest and anytime you have demand exceeding supply meaning more demand for those deals than there is supply of actual green bonds, then theoretically uh, the, the interest rates should come down and therefore the green project itself gets better financing terms. I mean, that's the fundamental theory behind this?
2: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so right now we're not seeing a lot of a lot of pricing pre or pricing uh, benefit for the green bond space, but the space is starting to gel up more, and there will be some higher expectation that'll really start to manifest. I would also have to imagine that one of the other challenges is interest rates are just so low in general right now that creating separation between one bond type and another is pretty difficult in an interest rate environment that's so darn low. Is that a I mean again, that's a layman's observation, yeah. but is that is that an accurate description?
2: No, that that's that's an insightful comment. I mean, in a more challenging market, you know as I mentioned earlier, this is sort of a time when anything an issuer wants to do, we can find a buyer for it. Um, there are definitely market environments where no, we need we need to fit in some some you know square uh, holes here in order to to find investors, and there might be sectors in the market where there's no one. I think when we get to a market where there's less liquidity like that, where some sector of institutions are selling versus every single sector of institutions buying, yes, then that'll be a differentiator where you can find a buyer for a green bond or where there might not be demand for a, a generic purpose
0: well it will also just be interesting to see how much of a uh how, how many basis points or how much investment return investors are willing to give up for the sake of a green product right in a, in a an eco-friendly solution or meeting one of their esq goals uh, or esg goals excuse me so that'll be a, that'll be a fascinating evolution in the uh, capital market space so let's zoom out the 32,000-foot perspective just real quick. Um, hey, Jose, like, can you just summarize for us some kind of deals that have been done by Raymond James lately or some projects you've worked on that um, helped address uh, public agencies' financial concerns?
1: Yeah. So especially during the pandemic, um, I think um, we had some clients that wanted to hold on to their cash. And while they had uh, infrastructure programs that they wanted to fund and had earmarked with that cash, uh, they chose to access the capital markets, uh, borrow for the infrastructure, and keep their cash in reserves just to see if things got worse, that they'll be in in a good position to to withstand the downturn. Um, We've seen um, some other agencies that were impacted by the fires uh, that – had a big portion of their tax base decimated, um, and had a big impact on their on their budget. Um, they were expecting federal funds to come in, uh, but needed to access the market with with short-term notes while that money came in. Um, we've seen agencies that simply are looking for every last dime and wanted to refinance their debt, as you mentioned earlier, to uh, make sure that the excess revenues could be used towards economic development and try to find a way out of the uh, slowdown. Uh, So, um, and lastly, um, I've mentioned it before, but pensions, I think people are looking at the impact of a lower uh, discount rate by CalPERS, which is putting pressure on budgets and uh, restructuring that payment. Yeah, fair
0: enough. That that makes sense. Uh, you got any additional comments you wanna make on that?
1: Um, you know, uh, I would say that an additional thing that I've been working on lately, and, and maybe it's a trend, uh, but I think uh, people are starting to wake up to the street infrastructure. Um, I think a lot of streets are are, are run down. Um, and need to be improved, and and so we we've seen uh, this year a couple of clients that are saying, you know what, we're we're going to go ahead and and invest in our streets and and fix them. Yeah, you
0: know, one thing I've always reflected on is this kind of yin and yang of when these investments happen, because they old ethos, those, particularly under certain Keynesian theories of uh, economics, was that when the economy was in the tank, you'd start making major capital investments because things were always cheaper to get done. Right now, it's a little bit of a challenging environment because things aren't necessarily cheaper right now. Uh, and the tank was artificially uh, or the e- economy the economy was artificially tanked as a result of the pandemic um, and seemingly bouncing back with a Um So the interesting thing is it's like it's instead of right now it being a super cost effective time to make some of those infrastructure investments, uh, some of the reality is, is I think agencies are looking out of the horizon, going, if we wait another year, it's another five percent increase, and that's going to far exceed the interest cost on doing a debt deal now. So we ought to just get on with it. Like the sooner we can get stuff done, the sooner we're going to mitigate these seemingly. I mean, we'll see what happens with inflation, but seemingly relatively steep inflation curve that we're facing.
1: You have a good point. Uh, I, I think when when they're looking at um, a thirty-year borrowing rate that is, for m- most agencies, well under 3%, um, It's it um, seems like a good, good alternative to tackle some of the infrastructure problems. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Well, so Parker and Jose, you guys have anything else going on in the financial markets you want to talk about or any other trend items that uh, we haven't raised today in this conversation that you think public agencies should be aware about?
2: Uh, you know, trend-wise at the moment, um, we're at uh, a real uh, quiet point in the municipal market. Um, secondary volumes are, are really light. Um, you know, rates are just kind of stuck at these super low levels. Um, and if we look at what's going on in other sectors, you know, the, the corporate market has seen just a tremendous uh, flood of issuers coming to market. You know, $75 billion in corporate bonds was issued last week. And the 30-year treasury market uh, had... Uh, one of its best auctions uh, ever last week. So, um, you know, municipals tend to lag a little bit, some of those faster moving sectors. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when, when is it right time to take on a project? Um, you know, maybe construction bids are are down when the economy is slow, but that, that might run counter to interest rates as well. So uh, I think we've been saying rates have been low for a long time. So uh, maybe it's getting to be an, a bit of an old message, but, uh, when we see the types of transactions that are getting done, um, uh, affordable housing projects, um, anything real estate related, um, you know, even transportation sector coming back to the market after the pandemic, um, it, it just seems like it's a good time right now uh, to to think about a market that's got a ton of pent up demand. Maybe if it's just refunding bonds, um, you know, when things are are kind of quiet like this, uh, it it really tends to advantage the first movers. You know, um, when, when everybody kind of gets the same idea, uh, our market can't absorb the same kind of supply as a treasure market. So, you know, at some point, supply is going to come in and it's going to overwhelm demand. Uh, but for the folks that are in ahead of that, I think it's uh, going to provide some real advantage. Okay.
0: All right. Very good. Well, uh, and how, let's say our friends out there listening want to actually tap some of the expertise or talk with you all. How, uh, Jose, let's start with you. How do they get a hold of you?
1: Well, uh, an email is very, very easy way. So jose.vera at RaymondJames.com, and um, my my uh, my my phone number is another easy way. Uh, so so I'll tell you, it's eight one eight four eight nine six eight three six. Awesome. And Parker, uh, do you ever get to talk to clients too, or do they try to
0: keep you behind a curtain and only let Jose talk to the clients? <laughs>
2: You know, um, Jose is very well-trained in in client management. I tend to put my foot in my mouth, so (laughs) So email me at jose.vera at (laughs) 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 raymondhames.com.
0: Well, that makes sense. It's a a wise man who can recognize when it's better to let somebody else do the talking. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, thank you both. Uh, that's today's report. My name is uh, Writer Todd Smith, and uh, we've been joined today by Jose and Parker. So my thanks for you both joining us. Uh, thanks for your time and have a good day.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email alex at publicceo.com.